Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We're in Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 23, and we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to go over the whole chapter, so let's open in prayer, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Father, we thank you for the morning and all that's taking place in our midst. Lord, we don't want to be a, a sedentary church. We just don't want to be sitting around doing nothing. We don't want to be complacent. We don't want to be super comfortable. We want to be active. We want to be involved in the kingdom. We have our physical responsibilities of taking care of our home and going to work and doing those things. We want to be the best employee on the job site. But Father, we also want to be about our Father's business, your business, in the spiritual world as well. So I thank you for Derek, and I just ask your blessing upon him and his family And that if it's your will, Lord, maybe you're putting up these roadblocks, as your word says, you close doors that no man can open, but you also open doors that no man can close. So, Father, if you desire them to go back, then you open those doors. Your timing is perfect. Bless them. Give them that peace and comfort knowing that you have a plan. Bless also Josh and those other people that are going to be going to minister to these special needs folks. We thank you for them, Lord. Prepare their hearts. And we pray that you give us wisdom and discernment on how we can help Josh accomplish that, Lord. Again, for your glory. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. And as we go over your word this morning, Lord, we're living in desperate days. No one can deny that. Help us to see the bigger picture. We want to see the bigger picture. We want to see how we can be used for you, by you, through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new or visiting, we find Paul this morning standing in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin. You might not be familiar with, the, with that. So this council was the highest court in Israel and was made up of 71 religious leaders or political men. Even though they were ruled over by Rome, they, were considered power, they, were, they had considerable power granted to them by the Roman officials. This is also the same council that Paul was possibly possibly a member of as a Pharisee earlier in his life. You'll remember his name was Saul, Hebrew connection, I believe named after King Saul. But as he started to minister to the Gentiles, he used his Roman name, Paul, Paul. It was not uncommon to have two names at this time, especially being a natural born Roman citizen. So this was the same council that Jesus stood before being falsely accused prior to his death. This was the same council that Peter and John stood before in Acts chapter 4 and were firmly told not to speak any more about the resurrection of Jesus in Acts 5. We saw that all the apostles stood before this council and were beaten because they continued to speak about the resurrected Christ. In Acts 7, we saw Stephen, or Stephen, standing in front of this same council. And it was by their decision. Think about that, guys. It was by their decision, these religious people who were supposedly following after the word of God. It was by their, their decision that he was stoned to death because of his stance about Jesus. Paul is now on the opposite side standing in front of this powerful council with his life 
in the balance. Verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Paul addresses this council in a way that insinuates that he was a member at one time. Others would have addressed this council with a more respectful terms. But notice what Paul says here. He says, men and brethren. He knows, whether he was part of the council or not, he knows that they knew him and that he was once closely connected to their council. He knows that they were familiar with his previous actions against Christians. That he was the man who was so zealous for the law that he traveled great distances to bring back to Jerusalem those who were Christians to have them, listen to this, we're not here out of religion if you're new or visiting, if you don't have Jesus as your savior, we're not here to play church, we're not here to be religious. Religion is dangerous. We don't want anyone to become religious. We desire you to have a personal relationship with God via Jesus Christ. Why? Because again, Religion is very dangerous. They knew that he was the one that went to great distances to bring back Christians to Jerusalem, to torture them, and even have them killed. They knew who he was, yet now he is being accused of being a traitor of the Jewish faith. So he makes a statement that carries tremendous weight. I have lived in all good conscience. I look at that as conscience, conscious as a conviction meter. Here's a definition of conscience. An inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. The last few weeks I've had the opportunity to share with a couple teenagers and we've talked about standard, standard. You see, everyone in this room right now, you all have a standard. Um, There was a poll done a few years back, and it was anonymous, and um, they asked people as they called on the phone, would you kill someone for a million dollars if you knew that you would not be caught? There'd be no ramifications. Would you kill someone for a million dollars if you knew there'd be no ramifications? The money's yours, scot-free. People, some people actually said yes. You see, we all have a standard. And I was sharing that with these teens. You you have a standard. The culture has a standard. But you know, in Chicago, they do drive-by shootings all the time. In Phoenix, there's shootings going on all the time. What is their standard? It's okay to kill somebody. This is our territory. It's okay. I don't have an issue with that. Really? Well, that's just your standard. So an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. So was Paul wrong in saying this? I personally believe that a conscience is a good thing when it is based upon the truth of the word, but it can also lose all power of sensibility. Isn't it kind of weird, our culture, what's going on? Doesn't make any sense, right? Voting in Oregon to make drugs legal? Does that make any sense? The natural mind, the normal mind's going, oh, this makes no sense. Well, that's what happens when your conscience is seared. 
You lose all power of sensibility when given over to the flesh. In other words, the conscience is not to become a guide, but rather the conscience must be guided and it must be guided by the word of God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The word of God says what? Thou shall not murder. Murder. Well, many people say it's okay to kill. Now that's extreme. I understand that. But Jesus said if you hate someone, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. That's what Jesus said. So it's about the heart. External actions might not be there, but if we have internal thoughts going on, it's about the heart. 2 Corinthians 4.1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, who's Paul writing to? Christians. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. How can I renounce sin if I don't know what sin is? So the standard for all of us has to go back to the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Otherwise, we end up in a society where a person or persons will say, vote for me, I'm a person of faith, yet I'm okay with abortion, I'm okay with gay marriage, I'm okay with gender dysphoria, I'm okay with all of these various anti-biblical things, but I'm a person of faith. So trust me, I'm a person of faith, vote for me. No. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. My walk matches my Christian talk. Verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Who would that be? That would be you and me. Before we had Jesus as our Savior, we were blinded. We were perishing. We were going to hell. And the Holy Spirit is wooing as we approach 8 billion people. The Holy Spirit is wooing 8 billion people to the cross. For God so loved the world. He loves every single person. Verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. There is demonic forces that we are, are not wrestling against because we're wrestling against Republicans or Democrats or mask or no mask or a vaccine or no vaccine or this or that. And we're forgetting as believers that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. How many of you that are married have ever, ever had a wrestling match in your bedroom with your mates? You know what I'm talking about. You've had that argument. It's out of earshot and the kids all heard it. Their ears are pressed against the door. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, guys, we have an opportunity with a simple little track. We can argue virus. We can argue shutdowns. We can argue this. We can argue that. Or we can talk about it and say, hey, are you afraid? Yes, I am. I'm terrified. Or, yes, I am a little bit. Okay, if you died today, 
And this is what I ask these teens. If you died today, would you go to heaven? One teen had the correct answer. They said, yes, I will, because I know Jesus is my Savior. The other teen gave me, uh, well, I'm not that bad a person. Wrong answer. And I showed her in the scriptures why it was a wrong answer. Take time to explain it. But now you have something that you can show them. Don't be afraid. You're going to die. But you don't have to be afraid, because here's the answer. So guys, what's this say? Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. I didn't want to believe. I was going to church every Sunday. I was living like the devil the rest of the week. Verse 5, for we do not, did not, do not preach ourselves, it's not about me, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, your slaves, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is that? Jesus, who has, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. We have the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. Unbelievers are not going to lead somebody to Jesus. Believers, that's your and my responsibility. Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And you, as you do a study, you'll find out that that pure water is the word, the word of God washing over our conscience. First Peter chapter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. You see, the biblical standard of marriage is one genetic male, one genetic female. That's fact. We don't need to be afraid of teaching the facts. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Sanctified there means to set apart. Guys, we are set apart. You might be a Republican, you might be a Democrat, but you're a Christian first and foremost. Don't elevate anyone or anything above the Bible. Do not elevate the Constitution above the Bible. The Constitution will go away sooner or later. The Bible will not, we're taught. Make sure that we're staying focused on the whole truth. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So with humility and reverence, not beating them up with a Bible, not making fun of them about mask or a vaccine, but just talking to them. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, as Christians, Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, either now or they will be when they stand before God, because God will call them into account for that day and age when they say, nobody told me. God will say, no, matter of fact, so-and-so told you on that day about my son, and you rejected their testimony, and then they will be ashamed of rejecting Christ. Why is it so important that I do not allow my life to be guided by my conscience? Because of my fleshly nature. My conscience can become hardened or cold towards the things of God. Titus says this, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. 
but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Have you ever been around someone? I, I was around them in Motorola, where you could say something totally innocent, and they turn and twist it and make it perverted. Why do they do that? We just read it. It's their base nature. It was all of our base nature. We just had a tendency to do that. They profess to know God. I go to church on Sunday. Doesn't matter. But in works, they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. 1 Timothy 4 says this, Now the Holy Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Revelation chapter 12, the enemy's number one tactic is deception. Why are Christians leaving the faith? They're deceived. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about San Diego to Hawaii. You're off one degree. You miss Hawaii by 44 miles. Somebody did it. Thank you for sending that to me. 44 miles you miss Hawaii. Hawaii doesn't exist. You're just off one degree. Just one degree. It's not that much, right? Just one degree. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, without the whole Bible being our standard and guide, a person will eventually do whatever he deems is right in his own eyes. This is taking place in our society and obviously becoming very dangerous to the individual as well as to those around that individual. It can also impact a whole nation. As we see what happened to Israel in the book of Judges, one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Judges 21-25. In those those days, there was no king in Israel. Could we say today, in our day, there is no king in America? America. Is God on the throne as far as America is concerned? 75 million people voted no. We don't want God. We want gay marriage. We want abortion. We want gender dysphoria. We don't believe in your Bible. Okay. God's hand of protection is being lifted off our country and we will pay the price. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. One of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Jesus is available for us right here, right now, but we are choosing to look away. And when I say we, I know you're here and you love God. I'm talking, you know, our country, our country. So had Paul lived in good conscience to that day? In a sense, yes, he did. He sincerely believed what he was doing, killing Christians, was biblical. He was very sincere. His conscience was clear. But was his conscience clean? Thou shall not murder He hated Christians, so I will kill them because my hate supersedes the Bible. You see, but when the whole counsel of God guides our conscience, then we will have a clean and not just a clear conscience. We can't walk around saying, well, I have a clear conscience when we're living in sin. No, we have to have a clean conscience. All right, Acts 23, verses 2 through 5. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, slap him across the face. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, 
And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. You see, slapping Paul across the face could have been classified as being against or contrary to the law. Leviticus 19.15 says this, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. But the way that Paul answered the high priest was not good either. Jesus talked about the white wall sepulchers in Matthew 23, very quickly. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Maybe Paul remembered this time in the temple area when Jesus was exposing the hypocrisy of the religious elite. He was alive. He could have been there. But I think we can see that Paul didn't have the same intent that Jesus was making, which was a call to repentance. But in another gospel, Jesus shows us the proper way to deal with a situation like this. In John chapter 18, 19 through 23, then the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have, had no, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? You see, Paul would have known the scripture that says in Exodus, as he quoted, twenty two twenty eight, you shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. Verse 5, again. Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall speak, not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So what was the real reason that Paul spoke this way? He probably didn't know that he was a high priest because of his own poor eyesight. Galatians 6, 11. And Galatians was written in 46 to 49 A.D. Paul writes this as signing off his letter. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. It's a little clue. Is there another clue? Well, Galatians 4.15 says this. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And there's other signs elsewhere that would tell us that his thorn in the flesh was actually his eyesight. I believe it was his eyesight. You see, Paul had respect for the position, if not for the person. Please hear this, Christians. Paul had respect for the position, if not for the person. The New Testament teaches us that as well, that we should have respect for those who are in authority over us and pray for them. Here's just one reference in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings. For us today, that would be for presidents, 
and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Verses six through nine, even so, so even if Paul didn't recognize the high priest, he did know that he was standing in the midst of a group of men who were confused over the scriptures. Is the church, big C, is the church confused over the scriptures today? Absolutely, absolutely. So he makes the point of being a Pharisee and then lets the men debate amongst themselves. Verses six through nine. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope of the resurrection and of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. That's why they're sad, you see. That's the way you remember that. Sad, you see. There's nothing. But the Pharisees confess both, that there is a resurrection and we will go on into eternity. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Very important for us today in 2020. Very, very important. It is interesting that years before when the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin, that great rabbi Gamaliel stood up and spoke these words in Acts 5, 38 and 39. Listen to what Gamaliel speaks because it's what I want to share with you this morning. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. What's happening in our culture today is a plan. If it's of men and God's going to save us, God will save us from these men and women. If it is of God, and we have to come down as a nation. And I know certain people here don't want to hear this. But read your Bible. Jesus said, it will be as the days of Noah. And it will be as the days of Lot. Noah's kept safe prior to judgment. Lot was kept safe prior to judgment. But judgment came. Jesus is coming back. And judgment is coming upon our land for what our culture is endorsing. We have to be aware of all of the scriptures. What does Gamaliel go on to say? But if this is of God, now guys, Ezekiel 38, there is going to be a war where Russia is going to come and an affiliation of countries are going to come against Israel. And the word of God says, the word of God says, not Jim, the word of God says, no one will come to their defense. Who's going to come to their defense? No one. Right now, if Israel was attacked, who would come to their defense? America would come to their defense. So who would get the credit for saving them? America. God said, no one comes to the defense. I'm going to get the credit. I'm going to get the credit. And Israel's going to give God the credit. 
So you shouldn't be shocked if you see that we need to be out of the way. And why are they locking down country after country after country and state after state after state? Why? The numbers are not there. The fear is there, but the numbers are not there. It's called global collapse. It's called global economic collapse. We have to go down so that we can get to Revelation chapter 13. One world government, one world religion, one world economic system. Please read Revelation 13. It has to happen, guys. Am I excited about that? Not at all. I'm grieved. I'm grieved. But if you're listening to anything that's being said in the last week, it's obvious we're going down. So keep looking up. Washington's not going to save us, D.C. Jesus is going to save us. And be very careful how far you take your constitutional rights and you elevate your constitutional rights above biblical truth. Don't ever elevate constitutional rights above biblical truth. The Bible is going to go forever, not our constitution. Keep it plain and keep it simple. We're in desperate days. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. God opens a door that no man can close, and he closes a door that no man can open. And if it's time for our country to go down, don't fight God. Rather, get out there and let's see how many people we can save before it ultimately goes down. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. I'm not going to fight against God, guys. I just want you to know, and if you're looking for a church and you're like, well, I don't want this church, stick around, stay in the word, and you'll see the truth. Not that I am in the truth. The word is the truth. But I'm sticking with the truth. I'm not going to fight against God. These things have to take place. Be careful. Pick the right side. Verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Verse 9. Verse 10. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said to him, Be of good cheer, Paul. Now if you've read 2 Corinthians 11, you know that everything that Paul has been through up to this point, so it's not like Paul is having a panic attack and he's really scared, oh, what are they going to do to me? But he's human. And so I'm sure he had a little concern. God, I I thought I was doing the right thing. What's going on? You told me that I was supposed to go before kings. Well, what does Jesus reassure him of? Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Paul, I'm not done. Press on. And for us as Christians, God's not done with America as far as us and our sphere of influence. Could he be done with us as a country? Possibly. But as Derek already shared, you're now entering your mission field. You're now entering, if you think you're going to change Washington, D.C., cash in your chips, it ain't going to happen. But could you have an impact on somebody's life right now in your sphere of influence? See, don't, don't miss out on what God has for you to do in the here and now. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Silliness. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Who are they going to? 
the religious elite who know what? The word of God. Religion, again, very dangerous. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggested the commander that he brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Does the religious elite say, no, thou shalt not kill. No, thou shalt not murder. What do they say? Good idea. Let's do it. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. We see that Paul had extended family here, but they are not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. They probably had abandoned him due to his stance about Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. Today in America, you might lose your family or family members for your stance for Jesus. We're seeing this in our extended family. Marriage is one genetic male, one genetic female. There's some family members that don't like that at all and they don't want nothing to do with this. Okay. You know what? I'm not here for you. I'm here for Jesus and hopefully you'll hear Jesus before you die because hell is hot. Phoenix is nothing compared to hell. (laughs) What I find interesting about this situation though is that there just happens to be someone who relayed the message to Paul. Was it just a coincidence or was it a God incidence? You see, God is watching out for his children and he knows how to take care of them and get them to their appointed place. God's watching out for you guys. And Psalm 37 says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now we know no one's good, so knowing God or being a Christian, this is what makes a person good. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? Paul's nephew said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them. Can you get this picture here? Here's a Jewish young man telling a commander who is over a thousand Roman soldiers, he's telling him what to do. See, God can use any one of us. We limit God. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called two centurions, remember a centurion is over 100 soldiers, saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts or horses to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Is that the whole truth right there? (laughs) No. He left out quite a bit. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. Left out some more there. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him, deserving or death or chains. 
And it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man. I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. So what took place as the music team comes up? That the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the barracks. When they had come to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. The life of Paul is continuing. His witness is continuing. His message is continuing. Guys, don't check out. We're done with the scriptures. But here's the final exhortation. Are you still breathing? Yes, you are. Is your life done? No, it is not. Does God want to use you this week? Yes, he does. Are you available to be used? To be determined. Because we all have schedules, myself included. And I'm a very scheduled person, and it's hard when God gets in my business. So I myself, I'm just admitting to you, I myself have to be available for God to say, stop, I need you over here. Stop, I need you over here. I'm just like you. So I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need to stay focused on heaven. And I'm going out into my mission field. Because we only have so many days left, guys. If you're watching the news, it's coming down. We only have so many days. I, I believe we're going cashless next year. Once the cash is done, it's a matter of flipping a switch to get your obedience. You will obey or we lock your account. It's that simple. And you see what they're doing right now? To the whole world, to the whole world, you will obey or else you will be penalized. A Calvary in California is being fined $300,000 because they're meeting. And the pastor is being threatened with arrest. This is reality, guys. Fear, control, bringing down a nation, but bringing down a whole world because the Antichrist, I personally believe the Antichrist is alive on this earth and Jesus is coming back. Father, I thank you and praise you for the days we're living in. It seems so far-fetched. I've been waiting 42 years for this. The disciples were waiting their whole lives for the Messiah and, and they were saying, no, you don't need to go to the cross. You, you don't need to die. Let's overtake Rome right now. They didn't see the bigger picture of the scriptures that your son came to die for the whole world. Father, help us to not be so narrow-minded that we think we have to save America and that this whole thing is all about America and our freedoms and our 401ks, and our jobs, and this and that. Father, it's still about you and your plans. It's still about your word. And we don't want to be found fighting against you. We want to be in the spiritual battle against the enemy for the souls of men and women who are going to hell. Who, as we've just read about, they're blinded. They're blinded. They need the light of the gospel. They don't need the light of the Democrats or the Republicans. They need the light of the gospel. 
Help us to be available this week, Father. Help us to remember that it's your schedule, it's your timing, that you have a plan and a purpose, that you have divine appointments, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us. You have divine appointments already set for us. Help us to be aware and alert that will be available for your use this week. Give us more of your Holy Spirit, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, we encourage you to come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you to receive Jesus. Let's stay focused, guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.